Thank you. Um, not only have I done all my Christmas shopping, I actually finished it all before December had even started, I'd like to say. Um, it did help going overseas and just going, we'll just do our Christmas shopping here and then we don't have to think about it. So if you need advice, <laughs> that's how I do Christmas shopping. Take a nice trip to Melbourne. It's a great place. Um, anyway, so I'm Zoe. I'm the youth leader here. And um, I'm also speaking today on Son of the Most High. And I'd like to start with a little confession. A few weeks ago, James sent out an email with a list of people assigned to the different names of Jesus, like Emmanuel, Jesus, um, Messiah, sort of thing. And when I looked through the names, I was like, oh yeah, I could, I feel like I would know where to start with most of these, oh, except that one, which is obviously this one. Um, and so when I saw, I was like, oh, I have no idea where to start. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so hopefully I have a better idea of what I'm doing now, but <laughs> have, we'll, we'll find out. We'll see. <laughs> God, take the wheel. So I'm speaking on Son of the Most High, which the title is given in one of my favorite Christmas passages because I am that sort of nerd where I have a favorite Bible passage that is Christmas related. Um, and it's in the first chapter of Luke, which focuses mostly on the story of Mary and Elizabeth. And that's what I love. I love the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth and the story of John the Baptist and Jesus when they're both pre-born. Um, <laughs> And um, I could nearly definitely talk about that, but I'm talking about the names of Jesus today, so I won't. Um, and yeah, so we'll start. I will read. So we'll be reading from Luke 1, 26 to 38. And that is quite long, but I think it's important. I like context. So... In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, the angel, and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Where am I? Um, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I... I'm a virgin. Did I go too far? No, okay. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, to me, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So 
We'll start with understanding the term son of the most high. Uh, the word most high means, is commonly used as a term to refer to God in first century Judaism. And a saying is essentially saying he is the son of God, but the saying most high was a name to reveal God's name and prevent saying, taking it in vain. So it was used more directly twice in this passage. So she, he essentially says he'll be the son of God twice, one in Luke 32 and one in Luke 1, 35. So it's so important that it gets repeated twice, very close together. And this is kind of like a name of Jesus, but you could also think of it like a title. So in my brain, it's a little bit more like a title announcing who he is in the way that you would have a king or a pastor or a teacher, but it's not something that he can be sometimes and not be. It's like a title that is telling us exactly who he is. And why we're to care about him is because he is the son of the most high or he is the son of God. So let's break it down into two parts. You have son of and most high. So son of, you have, this is a word, it's the male child um, and it is denoting or explaining like a family relationship. So you're a son when you have a dad, or if you're a dad and you have a male child, you have a son. It is also a human category. Now, this is something that we might put on animals, like we might say uh, that like animal had children, had sons and daughters. But if when we find out like the proper name for that animal's kids, we're more likely to use it. So for examples, horses and zebras and giraffes have foals. So you talk about them having a foal. For whales and dogs, you have pups. So those are like the correct names, but sons and daughters are quite specific to people. And it describes the relationships that people have with each other. So it's quite a human term. Then you have the Most High, which is referring to the Old Testament use of God Most High in like a shortened form. So saying Most High instead of God Most High. Um, and it's used throughout Deuteronomy and the Old Testament. It is also basically saying that God should be above all things. He is the Most High thing that exists and we should keep him in that place. It is used to refer to God as a whole. So in the Old Testament, when they say God most high, it is talking about God as a whole, but it can also be used to talk about God as the Father in the same way that sometimes with the Trinity, we'll talk about the Father, Son, and the Spirit, or we'll talk about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You could say the most high, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So it can be used in either way, just for clarity. Um, and so essentially, I didn't remove the animations here. <laughs> essentially, it is putting together a very human term with a very, a term that humans use to refer to the divine, to God. 
So it is taking the meeting in this name of the human and of the divine. And this is essentially what Jesus is all about, is being fully human and fully God. That is why we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. And this term, the meeting of the human and divine, has a name, we call it the incarnation. And if you Google search what it means, it's a person who embodies in flesh a deity because we only really believe in one deity, it's God. (laughs) So it's essentially going, God has come down to earth and is embodying human flesh. And what this means is that with the way Jesus did it, he came down to earth and lived a life like us. Well, not exactly like us. He didn't have smartphones, but he probably lived a life much harder than most of us will live. If you look at anything, like what it was like for him to be alive, it was pretty rough. Um, And he came down to do... and became human to be able to redeem humanity. So God essentially was like, you guys keep screwing up. So I'm going to come down and be you guys for a bit, but like in a God way. So I'm going to be God and me. And then I'm going to fix it by dying and then not staying dead. So he redeemed humanity by wearing humanity and divinity together at the same time, like wholly, completely being each one. And that's probably about the extent we'll be able to understand it, is like he was fully God and fully human and can't really understand how we can be two full things at once, but he is. And he essentially redeems humanity by living out life as who he is, by living out life as God and as a human. So he comes and he lives and dies as a human would. But due to his divine nature and perfect character, this enabled redemption, it enabled resurrection, reconciliation and relationship and probably some other R words that I have forgotten because everything he did... He was doing as both at every moment in time. We can't say, oh, so that was when that woman touched the edge of his coat and was healed, he was obviously acting as God. But when he's crying in the garden, he's acting as a human. No, in every moment, he is doing both. We can't separate him into nice little categories. The whole point is that he can't really be separated into our categories because he exceeds and goes beyond all of our categories. And this is, it's just an idea that I find blows my mind the more I think about it. And there's a quote by a woman called Dorothy L. Sayers, who is a theologian, like a lay theologian, kind of contemporary to C.S. Lewis and Agatha Christie. Say Agatha Christie because she also wrote crime novels. Um, and it says... He has himself gone through the whole human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, death 
uh, defeat, despair and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. And I just, I love the way she ends it. He thought it well worthwhile. He thought that humanity was worthwhile saving. Um, There's also something quite quaint about the idea of thinking it well worthwhile that I like. Um, But essentially what he's done is broken the distance by God, or by the word, by God becoming flesh truly It means we aren't separated. We can be unified because Jesus was unified in himself. There wasn't a division, which is why we can't separate his actions. He was unified in himself and was completely one in himself. I'm doing this a lot. Um, But he, so he came down and essentially walked a mile in our shoes. And... As I was like writing this, I was like, he walked a mile in our shoes. And then I thought about that phrase and I was like, oh, wait, he walked a mile in our shoes. Because when we say that, (laughs) we're basically saying, don't judge that person because you haven't been them. You don't know what it's like to live their life. And so Jesus, at the end of the age, is going to come and like judge the world and renew it and everything. But before he does that, he came and walked a mile in our shoes. So that means he like gets it. And so he came and he was us and he knows what it's like to be us. Not necessarily like be me exactly, but he knows enough of what it's like to be me and probably what it would be like to be me, but in a much harder time. And he came and he lived as us. And so he knows what it's like, which means when he does judge the world, He will do it in a way where it is coming from a place of understanding humanity, but in the way that God can be completely objective to a situation. So he'll have all of the facts possible and also be able to be making a decision that is objective, but completely driven by love because he came to earth out of love and because he is love. So... All of it means that he's not distant or impersonal, but close and relational. He didn't want to keep that distance that was created through our own mistakes. He came down so that that distance didn't have to exist anymore. He came and lived with us and decided still, while having lived with us and lived as us and being treated like garbage by us, that we were still worth saving. Like despite everything that he went through, he decided we're still worth saving. Despite growing up in poverty and having a system that continued to want to keep him in poverty, by growing up and having to learn the hard works of a carpentry trade, by being a refugee at a young age and then coming back, when he had one of the greatest miscarriages of justice that's probably ever been recorded, done at the hands of people for our own selfish and broken reasons, he still decided that it was worth it, that we were worth saving. And that is the place that he'll come from when he judges the world, is the place he came from when he still decided that we were worth saving. Because all of that comes from 
God being God and being love. And so he gets what it's like, our trials and tribulations, um, our suffering and annoyances. And I've, I've had a bit of a week this week, just like a lot of things weren't going my way, um, not going to plan, people pushing my buttons, you know, it just, all the little things this week, you know. But every, like, for example, every time I've gone to catch a bus this week, it's been cancelled, which is a great time. Um, so, yeah, it's just been one of those weeks. And it, he gets it. Like, I can go, oh, this week really sucks just for this, the random tiny reasons. And he gets it. Like, the creator of the universe gets it when we've been having one of those days or weeks or months or years. And to be honest, he's probably had one of the most bit of a weeks possible. Like in one week, he was like, came and being praised. And then he saw that his father's house was being taken over by thieves and flipped tables. And then he was betrayed by one of his best friends. And then he had like, the, all of his friends fell asleep on him in like his greatest time of need. And then he was whipped and beaten, and then he had one of the greatest miscarriages of justice that ever has it happened, leading to one of the most horrific and torturous deaths that could possibly exist in all of humanity, and like died, and then he rose again, and then his friends didn't believe that he had risen again, and it just, I would have been really tired at the end of that, like I just would have wanted to take a nap. Um, <laughs> and but that's just the surface of what was going on because in that we don't know all of the other stuff that was going on and all of his internal feelings about the situation and the conversations that him and God would have been having that we're not privy to, but him and the father would have been having that he would have been having within himself, um, that we're not privy to. Like he went through all of that and then also still went, yeah, I still love these people. I'm going to keep doing this. And... I just, like, it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely phenomenal that he still decided to do this. And you're like, okay, Zoe, this sounds a lot like an Easter message. Like, you're talking a lot about him dying. Um, where's the Christmas? Where's the little baby Jesus that makes me go, oh, cute little babies? Um, and not the, oh, this is really sad and depressing watching a guy die. Um, and... We'll get there. So <laughs> he, he came and he died and was completely at the mercy of people in his death and the decisions they were making. And at Christmas, you think about it, a baby, like they can't even hold their own heads up. Like you've got to hold up the head for them. And he came like that, completely helpless and dependent on people. And like when Mary was holding... Jesus holding a little new baby in her hands, in her arms. She was also holding the creator of the universe. And that creator of the universe was completely dependent on her deciding that he was worthwhile looking after. In ancient uh, uh, history, in like classics, it was a whole thing of if people had babies that they couldn't look after, they would leave them out in the wilderness to die and leave them on the hillside. And it's really awful. But that was, that was a part of, like, it wasn't a part of Jewish culture, but in the terms of the wider Roman culture and, like, part she was in, that, that would have been acceptable to do, 
to just leave him and go, no, not my problem. I, I can't do this. This is too much. And yet she didn't. She decided first, well, God decided first that Mary was the person to do it. And Mary listened to God and went, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this. And then she actually did it and kept doing it because raising a kid isn't just like holding a baby and then boom, they're an adult and you're done from what I understand. Um, I still ask my parents for help. So like, <laughs> it's, it was like a whole lifetime of her looking after him and helping him and like teaching him how to walk and teaching him how to eat. Like the God of the universe literally had to learn how to like, walk and talk and do everything in the same way that we do. Like he came and he lived all of the mandatory parts of the human experience, like, or like most common parts of the human experience of like being born, growing into your body and like growing and learning how to walk and learning how to talk and learning how to eat and learning how to communicate with other people and then relearning how to communicate with other people because people just keep getting more complicated <laughs> and continuing to do all of that. And he, because he came as a human, he was doing all of that stuff, all of that development that we do. Like he went through puberty and stuff, which probably would have sucked because um, it also was like still God and I don't know how that works. <laughs> but he came down and he grew up and then he didn't just like come down and do his three years of ministry and get it done with like as a fully formed adult, even though they were probably like the most impactful three years of ministry anybody's ever done. He came and he lived it all. He did the whole thing because he, he loves us and he really wanted to get it basically. Well, God already got it, but you know, it's, it's different. And then this, was taken up into God. Like it is an attribute of God now that he was human and has a human form. And so Christmas, him coming as a baby, to be honest, really only means something because of the cross. Because if he hadn't died, if he hadn't risen again, if he hadn't done what he did in his life, then people well, they probably did still, but just flag Mary off and go, yeah, yeah, whatever, an angel came to you about this baby, sure. But because of the cross, we remember the Christmas story because the fact that he rose again and that he's still a living king and saviour, we remember that he came as this tiny little helpless baby. But... The cross couldn't happen without Christmas because without Christmas and without him coming as a baby, we lose the impact of the fact that this was a person who grew up, who lived a life on earth and then died. And that person was also God, was also the creator of the universe and also like been following people throughout generations. Like he, that person that did all of that was God as well. And without the baby, we wouldn't get that. But at the cross, we wouldn't get the baby. Like they, they're one and the same. You can't have one without the other. And so Christmas 
points to Easter. It points to his death and resurrection. His life there points to the new life that he gives us in him. His life that he came as a baby in that new life points to the fact that he had life again. It points to all of that. And all of that leads to our redemption and leads to the fact that we can now have a relationship with him. Like he did all of the hard work in making this relationship possible was by he did the hard work of coming down and of living a life. Like he didn't have to do that. In the song we're singing today, Stand in Awe and Worship, it says the son left throne in glory. Like he left one of the greatest positions in the entire universe to come and be like us and to grow like we grow and do as we do so that we can be in relationship with him. And all we really have to do in that situation is say yes and then keep saying yes because he committed to living his life here on earth and then continuing to reach out for us for the rest of eternity so that we can keep having this relationship with him. And we just have to say, yeah, okay, I'm on board with that. And then keep saying, yeah, okay. Not go like, cool, I got baptised once and that's the end of it. Or go, cool, I've given my life to God, that's the end of it, I've done the hard work. Like we've, we've got to keep saying yes. But in the grand scheme of this entire relationship, he has given everything for us to give pretty much nothing. As a um, song that's the, um, if I had kingdoms, I would lose them. If I had the world, lose it all. But I have nothing to give that's worth what you gave me. And like... That song is all about that idea that he came as a person and then kept being a person for us. And that's so that we can be in relationship with him. And it also means that we have a saviour that gets it. So when we go to him and he's like, oh my goodness, this person was just, it was so annoying today. Like, they were so annoying. He's like, I get it. It might be thinking about like, Peter asking him some really dumb questions or something. Like, but he, he gets it because he's been there. And I just, this was basically an excuse for me to go, oh my goodness, isn't it so cool that he came as a person? Because really that's what Christmas is about. It's going, he was a little baby. <laughs> and he, he was a little baby. Like that's, that's the whole thing. That's what he did. That was, that was, why we're still talking about him. And in that, he then takes us as we are and he sees us as we are. But that isn't where he decides to leave us. He keeps walking with us throughout our lives and we've got to go, okay, I'm I'm going to trust that you know where we're going because I have no idea. And I'm going to look at you and not pretend that you're not actually walking with me because you're asking me to do something I don't want to do. We've, we've got to keep walking with him. But he started walking with us first. He did it all first. And what did I write here? I can't read my own handwriting. I can't read it anyway. I tried, but that's all good. Um, So, but he came as a human so that when he walks by us, we can then see him. That there is the ability for 
he gets it. So that means he's our advocate in heaven. It means that we have this whole, whole relationship with him that we wouldn't have been able to have in the other way. Now, God was always close and relational. He always wanted that relationship. But that relationship has now taken on a drastically different form because of Jesus. And it is something so completely different to what it could have been before. And I like, I don't know how to explain how it's different because I wasn't around then, but it is. But like he, he came and wanted to be with us and did everything he could to let us choose him because that's what it is, is all we have to do is choose him because he's chosen us over and over again and will keep choosing us even when we don't choose him in hopes that we will choose him. And just, yeah, it's just amazing. It's just real cool. Um, so I'm going to pray. And then if there's anything from this that stuck out to you, or if you feel like you've had a bit of a week or a month or a year or whatever, I encourage you to come and get prayer. Um, you can either come up the front or ask people around you. Um, either's fine. But we have a saviour that gets it, um, but has more for us than what we could ever dream of for ourselves. So yeah, so Lord, we thank you for the wonderful gift that you gave us of life and of your life. Lord, we thank you for coming as you were and living as we did, but also doing it as only you could, Lord. Um, yeah, we just thank you so much for your wonderful gift and your life and your desperation or our desperation to be in relationship with you and the fact that you have listened and responded to us, but that you were responding before we could even ask for it, Lord. Yeah, thank you. Amen. Come apart, come apart.